Are you setting yourself up for success or failure by comparing yourself to others? Principles over politics and why democracy sucks. Irishman stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent and you stay for the principles and the love and love of America. I hope you all had a wonderful and blessed and peaceful Thanksgiving and Today I've got a couple of Thanksgiving presents for you. Um, first off, it's a programming note about next week's show. Um, if you're a long-term listener, you know maybe a year ago, 18 months ago, I did a segment called uh, Life in Utopia. And it was where you guys got to ask me questions, what it was like to live in Ireland, what government was like, what the, the setup was like. I want to do a show next week where you can ask me anything. So get in touch on social media, drop me an email, any question you want. I don't care what it's about. You know, you can ask me all Yankee-related questions. I know that's not going to happen, but I would love to talk to you next week about the Yankees. But you can ask me anything about politics, about principles, about America, about history. You name it, go for it. The second Thanksgiving present I had for you is, because I know you're all maybe a bit bigger than you were the last time we spoke, you know, you've got a bit more turkey and a bit of stuffing and, you know, mashed potatoes, and yet, I'm not going to talk about certain things that you're hearing in your media today. I'm not going to talk about, oh my god, the impeachment. I'm not going to talk about Eric Charamella. I'm not going to talk about Ukraine or NATO. I'm actually going to talk to you about yourself. And I want to talk to you, start today's show, by talking to you about the holidays. Because I've always said that America has a great way of celebrating and that you have the trifecta of holidays close to each other. You've got Thanksgiving, you've got Christmas, and you've New Year. And it's a lovely journey to go on. This journey of firstly giving thanks. You know, if you understand the history of Thanksgiving, which we shared on the last show, you know, where you're giving thanks for the harvest, you're giving thanks for rain. You're giving thanks for success, you know, founding your nation. And then you move into Christmas, and obviously Christmas means different things to different people. It's sometimes where a guy my size with white hair goes, ho, 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 Merry Christmas, and comes down a chimney, and I'm watching you 365 days a year, and I know whether you've been naughty or nice, and I give you a little present. Others, it means nothing. Others, it means the birth of our Savior. And then you get on to the idea of New Year, of redemption, of a fresh start, of a clean slate. But while this is a really exciting time for a lot of people, especially in America, you know, you got Thanksgiving or Christmas, you got to go home. Usually a lot of people go home for one of those. You got to have a, you know, a big turkey. You got to have a lovely dinner. You got to spend time with people you like and people you don't like. 
you know, you got to share a few presents. You got to share a few beers or a glass of wine, whatever, maybe some whiskey, whatever your tipple is. You have this celebration. You have a Christmas tree. Is there anything that brings more joy in this world than a simple Christmas tree? Uh, we have ours up in our house and it's, I just stop and just marvel at it every time. It just warms my heart. Little things are just so cool. But while this is a cool period and an exciting period for some, there are others who suffer. There are others who suffer with depression. There are others who suffer a lot of pain around this time for a couple of different reasons. One is, you know, the days are shorter. You know, it's not summer anymore where, you know, it's 12, 14, 15 hours of sunlight a day. It's maybe seven hours. You also have the cold weather, you know, in a lot of places... You know, not main, you know, like Ireland, for example, you know, not that I'm bitter or anything. You know, it's cold, it's wet, it's miserable. You know, it's in places in America, there's a bad snow right now. You know, there's also the period of where, you know, they don't have, people don't have family and friends. And I believe one of the reasons, among many, that we suffer from depression at this time of year is we compare our lives to other people. There's always this idea of Christmas. There's always this idea of Thanksgiving. And we look at our own situation and it never seems to match up to the visualization. You know, especially around Christmas, you know, because you have Hallmark, all the Hallmark movies. You know, you look at them and you kind of go, my life isn't like that. My life is like it's a wonderful life, and except I don't get saved. I don't have the angel coming down to me going, look at all these people who would miss you. My life is, ah, oh, I just, you know, I'm done. And we get upset by that because we're comparing it to others. How many times do we compare ourselves to other people? How many com- times do we compare our lifestyles Look at everything that you have right now, where it's literally comparing yourself to other people. We compare our jobs. We compare our salaries. We compare our education. We compare how many kids we have. We compare how good our kids are at certain things. Oh, well, little Johnny, you know, he's got a promotion. He's now, you know, executive vice president of six people. Oh, well, that's great. My little Johnny is, you know, just created something, some robot. And it's this competition. We have this competition with, you know, how many cars do we have? How many holidays do we take? And we're always comparing ourselves to other people. But I'd ask you a question today. And just something to think about. When you compare yourself to other people, it is the most natural thing to do in many ways. But are you setting yourself up for failure? Because so many people today, and social media is a prime example of this. I look at people who I know on social media, and they're always posting great stuff. You see their pictures and you go, there's someone I have in mind this week. He met like a three, four famous chefs, barbecue joint. You know, you look at their lives and you go, oh my God, picture perfect, you know, guy, girl, kids, you know, meeting these people. And you're like, wow, man, they, their life must be great. Maybe, maybe not. But we always look at social media and everyone's so happy and, you know, posting pictures of, hey, here's a selfie. 
Hey, here I am at this restaurant. Hey, here I am having this food. Hey, here I am meeting this person. Hey, look at me. Isn't my life awesome? But do you think they don't have the same insecurities that you have? They're just masking it on social media. But are we setting ourselves up for success? Are we setting ourselves up for failure when we compare our lives to other people? I want to give you a few sports analogies just to make the emphasize the point. And I'm going to use myself as an analogy because I think this can go both ways. I used to play very, very low level American football. I love American football. I think American football is a great, great sport. Um, for those that you don't know, I used to, for a couple of years, I played defensive end and defensive tackle. I loved it. There are a few better feelings. If you're a defensive, if you played American football and you played on the defensive side of the ball, this will mean something to you. If you haven't, you, this will mean nothing to you. There are a few better feelings in this world than that split second when the defensive end gets past the offensive line and knows he's going to get that quarterback. And that split second, and it, it, it feels like an eternity when it's happening to you, but it literally lasts a millisecond where you know you're going to get the quarterback and he knows you're going to get him too. And that split second of just absolute ecstasy and then where your shoulder just into the gust and their body just goes, oh, oh, and you drive them to the ground. That is a great, great feeling. But I was... (laughs) I'm going to be very, very kind to myself. I was a below-average football player. I had fun. I enjoyed it. But I had injuries and I had issues going on at the time, so it wasn't very good. And then I got fed up with it because the coach in his infinite wisdom decided, yeah, you know what? We'll put you on his nose tackle on the offensive line. I just, uh, sorry, on the defensive line, and he put me as center. I just didn't enjoy it. I hated it. I hated playing offense. Different mindset. Couldn't get to it. But, you know, if I said, you know what, I want to play a game of American football with some, you know, famous football player. You know, Justin Tuck. OCU Manura. I know I'm naming Giants players. I couldn't do it. There's no comparison. I'm not in their league. There's no way I can compare or stack up or beat them. Same with baseball. You know, I'm not going to hit... um you know, there's some big uh, name pitchers in, in free agency right now. I'm not hitting a Jared Cole fastball. You could give me a million tries. You could say, I can tell you exactly where it's going to go. I'm not hitting it. Just, it ain't happening. And that's a fastball. That goes straight. You know, he starts throwing in a slider or a curveball. I'm done. I'm never hitting that. And I'm not talking about getting a hit. I'm like talking even felling fell the ball off. Just not going to happen. But there are some sports out there where you can actually compete. Because there's a handicap system, and I actually play a couple of them. One is golf. It doesn't matter if I'm playing with someone who can go around in 72. And if I go around in 85, I can still beat him on a point system. Yes, he takes more shots than me, or I take more shots than him. But I can beat him, because it's against a handicap system. Likewise, in bodybuilding, it's the exact same. There are guys who I know in the gym who are literally five foot eight, five foot nine, a hundred pounds soaking wet. And I'm being kind. They are never, ever going to lift the weight I can lift. But they're not six foot one and near 300 pounds. 
It's just never going to happen. If I set myself up against a scratch golfer, a golfer who goes around in 72, I'm never, ever going to beat him. Is that, is that, am I setting myself up for success or failure by doing that? Are those guys who are in the gym who look at me and go, wow, sometimes. Not for many different reasons. But they're never going to succeed by saying, I'm going to outlift John. But in bodybuilding competitions, and the way we do it is, you compare yourself to your weight. So a 100-pound person who lifts 100 pounds lifts their body weight. If that would mean I would have to lift about 300 pounds. That's how you compete. These are just a couple of sporting analogies. Now look at life. Are we setting ourselves up for success or failure? Are we setting ourselves up to succeed or fail when we compare money? When we compare our looks? Oh, you're so much better looking than I am. Mm-hmm. Let's compare our lifestyles. Let's compare our friends. Oh, well, I have more friends than you do. Again, social media, you see this all the time. Well, I have so many more likes. I have so many f- more followers than you do. I, my views get, or my tweets get more impressions than yours. Really? Oh, good for you. I'm absolutely delighted for you. I'm so excited that you mean something to you. Oh, well, I, I'm, I'm a, I've done this and I've done this in my life and I have this job. Absolutely wonderful. How many times is it we compare ourselves and it's against what we think society should say? How many times is it, well, my job is I'm an executive vice president. I'm absolutely delighted you are. I earn $250,000 a year and I get loads of little perks. I'm absolutely ecstatic for you. And I know it might sound like I'm being sarcastic right now. I'm being genuine. If that's you, good for you. But how many times would you say I could compete with that? But yet, I do stuff that I, not many other people can do. How many times, you know, can I compare going against an executive vice president who's on a quarter of a million dollars a year to, you know what? I get to do a show every week and speak to you guys on The Blaze for free. I get to travel your country and speak to audiences about how great your nation is, and I do it for free. Now, a lot of people on the outside to lifestyle might go, well, I'm going to go with the executive vice president. I'm gl- you do you, John, but he's winning. Oh, is he? What about happiness? You see, one of the fundamental principles your nation was built on was the pursuit of happiness. The great thing about the individual and why America is exceptional is because we all get to do what we want to do. But how many people actually live today who are actually doing what they want to do compared to what they think they should do or what they think people want them to do or measure success based on what society deems successful? How many people on Twitter today, for an example, think, oh, I'm so cool, I'm so special, I'm so important, I have a blue check mark beside my name, I'm so swell. Yeah, great, wonderful. <laughs> Absolutely great. Now, that being said, I'm not dissing the blue check mark. I have one. It's it's actually the only one good thing I'll say about it is it's a bit of a verification that I am the real one. If other people come and say a load of stuff or misquote me, I can say, well, you know, I'm that's the real account. And people in my industry have that, you know, like Glenn Beck, other people. There is an advantage to it, but it's not mean. I'm not better than you. It's not a competition. I have a blue check mark and you don't. Anyone can get one. 
within within certain parameters. But how many times do we base everything on, well, I have so many cars. I have such a big house. Oh, my yacht. My private yacht is awesome. How many people times do people actually compete on what they want compared to what society says is important? Now look at our world today as we approach the holidays. How many times do people actually compare themselves to where they were a year ago? You know, it's coming up to New Year. This year's a new year, but it's also a new decade. And while it's just another day, the clock will strike 0000001 on the 1st of January 2020. Sometimes it's a milestone. Sometimes people go, well, it's going to be a new year, new me. New next decade, new me. I'm going to improve myself. And they'll invariably go, you know what I need to do? I need to lose weight. I need to get better. I need to be healthier. I need to be stronger. I need to be fitter. I need to be better at my job. I need to earn more money. We all make these New Year's resolutions, or most of us do. But invariably, we'll always compare ourselves to someone different. Let me give you a prime example. Again, I'll use myself as a gimme pick. I don't mind being the gimme pick. You know, I'm going to be real kind to myself again and say I'm a very below average looking person no one's gonna look at me and go oh john oh my god if i could just have you for five minutes oh i'd have such fun with you no one's thinking that no girl alive is thinking that but yeah every year i'm trying to i'm on this long journey and i'm having a load of health issues which different story but you know i want to lose weight i want to be stronger i want to be skinnier i want to be better looking not because for any other reason, but it's, I just want to do it. I want to get back to where I was a long time ago, but also I want to get stronger. I I want my shoulder issues to go away. I want to lift weights and to get there, I have to lose weight. But how many times do people will take that journey on and go, well, I want to be good looking. I want to, you know, I want to lose like 75 pounds. I want to lose a hundred pounds. I want to lose eight inches off my waist. I want to be like them. Instead of comparing yourself to where you were a year ago. Well, I'm down 20 pounds in a year. I'm down 10 pounds in a year. Compare yourself to where you were a month ago, a week ago. And just think of all the little progress that you're making. I know this is very hard to understand for some. And it's very hard to do. I, I Look, you know, I've been very open and honest about my issues with you guys on this show. It's very hard to see the wood from the trees at times. You know, when you live in a life where a lot of the time you're unhappy, it's always hard to look at life and just be happy. It's always hard to look around and find joy. When I look at this year with my issues, I'm still here. I'm not happy. My life isn't where I want it to be. My life isn't what I want it to be. I'm not living in the country I want to live in. But you know what? I'm still here. My life isn't about comparing myself to, to people. My life, my journey is very unique. Everyone's journey is very unique, but mine sure as hell is for what I want to do. But in my industry, you'll always get compared. So who do you want to be like? Oh, you want to be like Glenn Beck. Oh, you want to be Mark Levin. Oh, you want to be Steven Crowder. No, no, no. I'm me. I'm me. I'm unique. No one has a story that I have. 
They may have better stories. They may have worse stories. They have may have more well-told stories. It's not my story. To emphasize this point, I want to share a story with you. And it's a really good motivational story. And it's a story by Matthew McConaughey, the actor. And he talks about heroes. And if you actually first listen to this story, right at the start, you'll think, oh my God, what an egomaniac. But there's a very important point where he shares in the story. He goes, he was asked at a very young age, about 15, where who was his hero? And, you know, instead of going, well, my hero is fill in the blank, he actually thought about it. And he said, my hero's me in 10 years. So he goes off and he lives his life and he does his thing. And then a person comes to him at 25. So you're a hero now, right? Hell no. Not even close. My hero's me at 35. And then again, he goes, then my hero's me at 45. The journey isn't competing with other people. It isn't been the next Matthew McConaughey or the next Glenn Beck or the next Mark Levin or whoever it is. The journey is not competing against any of them. The journey is competing about yourself. The journey is, am I better than I was last week? Am I better than I was last month? Am I better than I was last year? Are we in a better situation now financially than we were this time last year? It isn't about what the neighbors do or what your friends do or what your families do. Let them do them. What do you do? Do you compare yourself to others? Now, I'm not saying, hey, you should never compare yourself to others. I have no problem admitting that. That sometimes can be a good thing. You know, if if you do, I'll give you a short sports analogy. In golf, we usually play in competitions in three-man teams. I have found this. This is not scientific, but it's over a long period of time with many different people. If the golf, if everyone is playing really well, the golf standard goes up. If someone plays really, really bad, the standard tends to go down. It's not about saying comparing is bad, but it's putting things into context because sometimes you want to compete. Oh my God, that person plays off 10. I want to play off 10. What do they do that I can learn from them? Hey, what, what shot did you hit that I can do? And then you learn from them and you get better, but it's always competing against yourself. We learn from others, but we compete against ourselves. Because at the end of the day, the most important question you have to ask yourself is, is everything you do right now, is it setting yourself up for success or are you setting yourself up for failure? Just something to think about. I'm on social media I'm on Twitter Freedom Disciple on Facebook Jonathan Dunn 58 next week we're doing an Ask Me Anything answer as many questions as I can in the the period we have so if you have any questions submit them submit them privately or drop a comment on any of my Twitter posts and I'll look for them and I'll find them but it would probably be best if you direct message me or message me on Facebook so why did I start off this show talking to you about comparisons and a load of sports analogies and you know, I know a lot of people are listening home. Thank God he didn't mention the Yankees. Yeah, the Yankees are awesome. Um, I'm thankful this year for the Yankees and Aaron Judge. But why did I start off this show that way? I did it for two reasons. One, for a personal reason for you guys. Because as you're starting to 
think about your new year and you're starting to think about resolutions, I would ask you just to think about, are you setting yourself up for success? And if you're not, what can you do to change it? Change comes in many different ways and many different forms. And it's the small things that make a big difference. But I also did it because I want to talk to you about your culture and I want to talk to you about politics. And I want to talk to you about your wonderful nation. Because right now, if you look around at what's happening in your country, look around not at the actions, not of the, you know, the impeachment and Eric Jaramella and all those different things. I said his name again. Shoot, that's another fine I'm going to have to pay. Oh, damn. But if you actually look around at the politics and what is said, look at what people are comparing everything to. Look at what the left and right constantly compare themselves to. Are they comparing themselves to where they were last year, last week, last decade, or their history? Or is the comparison literally what the left are? And likewise, what did the left do? They're making the comparison, we're not them. We are not them. And the right do the same. It's all this back and forth. You also have this about America where, hey, America isn't like every other nation in the history of the world. America should be more like Sweden. You are being compared to other nations. You are being compared to other ideologies. Is this what will lead to success for America? Is this what will lead to a bigger, stronger, brighter future for Americans? Always comparing yourselves to other nations. Is that how you grow? Is that the standard bearer for America today in 2019? Hey, well, guess what? We're not Europe. Gee, I... Is the bar that low? Is the bar that low? Oh, well, we're not Australia. We're not China. We're not North Korea. We're not North Iran. We're not Russia. Wow. Is that the comparison you want to make? Or do you want to actually compare yourselves to where you were? Do you want to compare yourself to the mission statement, to the vision, to the dream of your forefathers? Because for me today, I don't want to talk to you and compare America to other nations. I don't want to compare you to other nations. I don't want to compare your political leaders to other leaders. I don't want to compare your ideologies. A lot of people are asked, have asked me over the last two weeks since I briefly spoke to you about my plans for 2020. I don't want to compare you because it's not a fair comparison. It's not a right comparison. But also, when you compare, usually someone wins and someone loses. I don't want to compare left and right. Because I look around today at left and right in America and I go, wow, how far you've, how far you have traveled. The left are wildly crazy. Like I listen to some of the stuff the left is coming out with and I'm like, jeez, wow. Likewise, I see some of the stuff the right is coming out with. And their spineless actions time and time again. I don't want to compare you to that. 
But I also know a lot of people don't like when I say, oh, well, let's compare you to George Washington. You know, they're, they're dead and gone, John. George Washington doesn't exist anymore. Ben Franklin doesn't exist anymore. Thomas Jefferson doesn't exist anymore. That time is dead and gone, John. Okay. I get this a lot. I disagree. I respectfully disagree. But let's just play along for a minute and say it's true. Is the dream your founders fought for 240 years ago still alive? And should it be? You see, I look around at the world and I look around at your country. And every problem I see, the answer is the same. We need to get back to the principles of nature's law and nature's God. We need to let people be free. You see, I I don't care whether people think I'm going to succeed or fail. I don't care. I don't care whether people want this vision or not anymore. I believe our mission is to ensure that dream remains alive. And this isn't about America. America is only the land's the piece of mass that sticks out of oceans that this dream happened to exist on, that this idea came became into existence. But it never really became into full existence. Can we truly look around at any point in time where we can say all men are created equal and that was beyond the shadow of a doubt? It was beyond dispute. It was never even discussed because everyone understood it. 2020 is a very significant year for America. Because right now, in your country, there is a battle going on. I saw a couple of articles over Thanksgiving about how the start of America was in 1619 in Jamestown. This is the narrative that people won't want to change and won't want to promote. That that's the history of America. The history of America is Jamestown, 1619, where all they came for was money and wealth. And all they wanted to do was plunder the land of America, even though it wasn't called America then, for everything they could. Because deep down, America has a history with greed, with a selfishness. And that we need kindness and compassion, not that greed and selfishness that is the epitaph of America. That is what has been written. Now, do you want to accept that? Or do you want to fight it? Do you want to counter it with truth? And understand, yes, Jamestown is part of American history. 1619 is an important year. But if you understand the founding principles, if you understand the Declaration of Independence... If you understand anything about George Washington, Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, James Madison, and I could go on. You understand anything about what they fought for, about what they worked tirelessly for, you will understand that they have nothing in common with Jamestown. Where they got their inspiration from was Plymouth in 1620. I get that impeachment is important. I get what's happening and what the Democrats are doing where they're subpoenaing 
getting phone records of the personal lawyer of the president. I get why that's troubling. I'm not here to say don't pay attention to it. I'm saying let's walk and chew gum at the same time. Because there is a political problem and a political battle brewing in your nation. And in 2020, I know most of the oxygen is going to be spent debating time and time again the pro-Trump and the never-Trump arguments. And the pro-ever-who-that-candidate is, whether it's Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, Michael Bloomberg, Hillary Clinton, ever who it is, the pro and anti-talking points for them. I know that's going to get the vast amount of oxygen in 2020. And I'm not even going to say it shouldn't. That's not for me to say I'm not an American. But I do know this, that we need to breed fire into a movement. A movement that understands the real battles that are going on. That we have to make clear what America stands for. The idea of America. What it is built on. The pilgrims in 1620. The idea of not coming to America for land, for wealth, for selfishness, for greed. But for coming to America for an opportunity to be free. For an opportunity to live without the vigorous rule of a king, of a dictator, of a tyrant. Where they had the right to set up their own future. And where they worked, that did not uh, happen at 1620 when they arrived in Plymouth. It took time. And there was a lot of oppression by the king. We've discussed these issues time and time again on this show. But that it eventually led through all that struggle, through all that pain, through all that suffering, to the masterpiece that is the Declaration of Independence. It's critical to understand why. At any time, but especially in 2019 and 2020, to understand why America is an exceptional nation. Why you are unique. Whether you think it's a good reason you're unique or bad reason, it's irrelevant. The facts are clear. There is no other nation like you. I wish and I hope to God I someday live in a time where there are nations like America. Not because America has become like every other nation. Where you have, oh, well, we're just like Norway. Oh, we're just like Sweden. No. I hope to live in a time where America is the bastion of freedom and other nations decide to follow suit. Because right now, whether you like it or not, they're all branched under man's law and tyrannical government. Whether it's democracy, whether it's dictators, or whether it's just socialism. It's important to understand we must stand against them. But we also must know what we stand for. And in 2020, I don't have the full answers of what I'm going to do. But because a lot of it depends on finances, but it also depends on your government saying yes. Now I haven't had the best look when it comes to your government saying yes at times. But I'm going to do everything in my power to spend as much time in your nation in 2020 reminding you of the America I love, reminding you of the America I admire, and reminding you of the America I know you can be. 
Because there are people out there who will listen to this and go, oh, John, there you go again. That America's dead. Just accept it, buddy. That America doesn't exist anymore. Maybe. Maybe you're right. I don't think you're true. I don't think that's true. But maybe you're right. Maybe it doesn't exist. That's not the question I'm going to ask in 2020. The question I'm going to ask is, do you want it to exist again? Do you have the willpower? Are you willing to make the sacrifice for it to come become true once again? Because you can do it. The question isn't whether you can do it or whether you can't do it. The question is, are you willing to do it? Because at 400 years anniversary of your founders, your pilgrims coming to Plymouth, the question remains true today as it is every day. If not you, who? If not now, when? If you don't believe in any aspect of freedom, you have to admit and look around the world that freedom is on life support. What are you going to do to help it? Because I've got news for you. I'm not going to solve your country's problems. I'm not arrogant enough. And while many people might question my intelligent level, I'm not stupid enough to think I'm the answer. I'm not stupid enough to think I'm going to ride in on a white horse and I'll organize my finances, I'll get the visa, and hey, hey, here's John, here's Johnny, and I'm going to solve your problems. This battle is not going to be solved by one man or one woman or one whatever you feel like identifying as today. You see, I can be inclusive too. This battle is going to be won by millions of Americans coming together to work, sacrifice, and fight for a better tomorrow. Because it can be done. It will be done. And it will require each and every one of you to get involved. show is released every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. We're on every major platform out there for free. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, CastBox, Spotify, OmniFM. You name it, we're there. And please subscribe if you're a new listener. Welcome. Please join the party every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. Also, if you happen to listen on iTunes, please leave us a rating and review. It helps the algorithm and new listeners to find this show. So I just spoke to you about the vision for America. One of the things, if you really want to be successful and you, not to compare yourself to anyone else, but to compare yourself to where you've been and where you're going and understand the races against yourself, the idea is for America, to quote uh, Matthew McConaughey, I want to be in America in 10 years' time and another 10 years' time and another 10 years' time. It's always getting better. It's always striving to be better. That is the American dream, striving to be better, pursuing your happiness. One of the things we have to do is we have to make a decision, which is eternal, which is more important. Is politics more important or is principles more important? Because I've got some news for you. If you continue doing this line of left and right politics, it doesn't end well. You're setting yourself up for failure. 
And I want to give you some things that I don't normally pay much stock to, but I've been doing a lot of research on a few different things, and these came across my desk in this research. Everyone loves to talk about how bad the left are. It gets great ratings. I know this for a fact. Anytime anybody on the right wants extra attention or extra ratings, the answer is usually pretty simple. Let's just do a show slamming the left and highlighting how bad the left are. Oh my God, did you hear what Elizabeth Warren said? Did you hear what, you know, she wants to abolish the Electoral College. Oh my God, isn't she an idiot? You know, if you look at all viral videos, you know, a lot of them viral videos are about AOC and how stupid she is and how silly she is and how she talks and how she looks and how she acts. You know, talk about Greta for a few minutes. Get you, you know, get you a bit of traction. You know, you got the latest one, Bloomberg, you know, talking about how, you know, well, regressive taxes aren't a bad thing on poor people because, you know what, we need, we want them to live longer lives and, you know, we need to have them have less money so they make stupid decisions. Like, you know, I don't know, stop buying sodas. Listen, that's great. I am in wholeheartedly in agreement with you. I don't lambast the left as much. I'm not about left-right. But that sometimes is confused today. People go, well, do you have sympathies with the left? Do you agree with the left? I can't tell you the last lefty politician or media person I agreed with anything on. I might be respectful of them. I might say, you know what, gee, I'd sit down and, you know, discuss things with you. But agree with you? No. I couldn't tell you the last Democratic proposal I agreed with. I couldn't tell you the last Republican proposal I agreed with, but that's a different story. But it's easy to talk about how the left are, are so bad and how they're so horrible. I get it. I, I'm in full agreement with you. But we also need to understand that there are big problems on the right. Let me give you a case in point. I'll start off with a, I, I'm going to start off with a softball. You want to know why there are problems on the right? This is clear. You look around at what's happening right now in the impeachment. You look around at what's happening on the blaze. Where my boss Glenn Beck has done some incredible work over the last two, three months. Where he's unearthed a lot of scandal after scandal in Ukraine. With the DNC, with Chalupa. With all these, how the, the golden shares and the dossier came about. All the stuff that's going on in the State Department. Incredible stuff. Where are the Republicans on this? Where are the Republicans fighting back against the narrative? The Republicans are so spineless, they won't even mention the name Eric Jaramella. <gasps> oh, there he did. That's, that's three times I've said that, that guy's name on this show. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. How bad am I? I've said that name three times more than every GOP politician that serves in the House and the Senate. What does that tell you? By the way, if I don't make next week's uh, Ask Me Anything show, you know George Soros got me, right? But we can all focus in on how bad they are. You know, the Tea Party was set up for a reason. You know, a lot of people, you know, with this revisionist history love to go, well, the Tea Party was anti-Obama and, and it was all racist people and you just didn't like Democrats. No, 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 no. Sorry, pumpkin, that's not true. The Tea Party started under George Bush, you know, where he said, oh, I don't know. There was a rant by a guy called Rick Santelli on the stock exchange floor and, you know, a lot of bad things happened. Didn't happen under Obama. It started under George Bush, who, last time I checked, George Bush wasn't an official Democrat. But we can make things about sides all day long. We can make things about politics. 
There are many shows about that. One of the reasons I don't st- do not do a political show is because I have no interest in it. And also, I'm not the smartest. I don't have... Honestly, this is this is shows you how bad I am. I read some of your political stories, and I just want to go, oh my god, no. I just don't have the patience. I just want to go, oh dear god, no. Don't... If I never have to read a CNN article again, I'd be a happy boy. But I want to talk to you about the right. Because we have to focus in on what the principles are and which principles you're willing to defend. And I want to talk to you about a few of those. I came across a Pew Research poll that was done several months ago. And basically the question was, and it gave the the, the article I read from Pew was talking about how this question has been answered by different people over the last couple of years. And it went back to August 2016. Should the presidency effectively have more power? And the question was more fancily worded worded than that. It was basically, should, you know, the president have to answer to Congress or the courts? um, Or would it be better off if he didn't? In August 2016, when Barack Obama was the president, these were the results. Democrats said, yeah, the president should have more power and shouldn't have to be overseen by the government. 29%. 66% said no. Republicans, as you might be shocked to hear, 14% said, yeah, the president should have more power. And 82% said no. Now, this is, should be a simple standard question, right? Should the president have to be have oversight by courts and Congress? Does it matter who's in power? Should it matter? It's a principle. Does Is Article 2 and Article 1 and Article 3, you know, relevant and have their relevant place in the Constitution or not? It shouldn't change whether it's Obama, Trump, Clinton, uh, Bush, Bush Sr., Reagan. Should the answer change? Should you be consistent on this? That's the first question I'd ask you. Should you be consistent on this? If you answered yes and no, regardless of what way you answered it, should it differ when it's another president? Because the answer is, according to this poll, and I will say, I don't, I'm not a big believer in polls, so take this with a pinch of salt, but there is some credibility to it. The answer has flipped. Whereas in August 2016, 29% of Democrats said yes. In August or September 2019, Democrats who said yes was 16%. Who said no went from 66% to 82%. That's a shocker, right? It went the other way around. Republicans went from 14% yes under Obama to 43% under Trump. And went from 82% no to 51% no. That's quite a change. But also, to show you, the right are supposed to be the party of freedom. The right are supposed to be the party that's somewhat linked to the Constitution. Yet even at Obama, 29% was yes. Under Trump, it's 43% on the right. We can spend all day long, you want guys talking about how bad the left are. I can do that show all day long with my eyes closed. I just name a policy, I'll tell you why it's bad and why it's wrong. But our own side, quote unquote, the right, 43% now say the Article 2 has more, should have more power. Is this America that you want? Is this important to you? Is this what you're willing to, you know, accept? Now, I get it. It's frustrating with the Democrats and what they're doing and they're playing games. I get it. But the principle is the same. 
If you don't like Democrats having power, the answer isn't to give more power to the president. Surely the answer is, well, vote them out of office in two years. The House is the easiest body to replace in the sense that it's not a six-year term. It's a two-year term. If you're unhappy with Democrats having that power and you see what they're doing and you see all the games they're playing and how they're rigging the system, then guess what? Next November, vote them out. Do principles change? Does the system of government change despite who has power? Or should it always be the same? Now the next poll, and this was just released this week. Um, It was done by Rasmussen and Heartland, the Heartland Institute. This is where we need to have a serious conversation. Because they asked a lot of questions. One of the questions was, would you ever vote for a socialist? And this is among likely voters. 26% said yes, 50% said no, and 24% were not sure. Now, worst case scenario, let's put all those not sures into yes. You have a 50-50 split in your country. What is the solution to that? I'll come back to that one in a second. The next question, or one of the next questions, they asked a lot about Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. I'm not going to pay attention to those. Not relevant. Would you support a ban on assault rifles? Quote, unquote. First off, what really frustrates me today is how we automatically assume the language of the left. If a gun doesn't go off, is it an assault rifle? And if a, a gun that's not classed as an assault rifle does go off, is it, is it an assault rifle? I know I probably just made everyone everyone's head on the left explode, but play along with me. The results. 49% yes, 43% no, and 8% not sure. So 43% of likely voters support a ban on assault rifles. Let's just park that one there for a minute. Should you repeal the Second Amendment? 24% yes, 66% no, 8% not sure. So, you don't want to repeal the Second Amendment, you just want to violate it. How do we make the case to 25% of the people who said, yeah, I want to ban assault rifles, but don't want to repeal the Second Amendment? How do we have that conversation with them? You don't want to repeal the Second Amendment, but you just want to violate it. Let's park that one there for a second. I'm going to come back to all these in a minute. Last question. Should hate speech be banned? 27% yes, 50% no, and 24% not sure. Of the 27% who said yes, 48% they were asked a follow-up question. Should hate speech then come with a a criminal consequence of jail time? 48% said yes, 35% said no, 17% not sure. I get the Constitution. I've always said that the most important document in your country is the Declaration of Independence. Then it's the Bill of Rights, then it's the Constitution. The first one where I talked about the power of the presidency, I'm a constitutionalist. Whether you like that or not, I'm a constitutionalist. I believe in a system of government of checks and balances. Even when one side of that check is acting around like a jerk. Because elections have consequences. I'll always be a constitutionalist because I believe in the system of government, the three co-equal branches of government. Whether it's George Bush in power, whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's George Washington, whether it's Bill Clinton, Jimmy Carter, my answer will be the same. 
I guarantee you that. And if it ever falters, if it ever changes, I encourage you to come to me and go, hey, what the hell happened to you? I thought you were Mr. Constitution. Why are you now supporting an unconstitutional policy? I beg you. And if you're a hater, go back and listen to any shows when Obama was in power. I guarantee you it's the same principles. I haven't changed. And I won't change. But that's the Constitution. I'm open to ideas. If you have a proposal, whether you're left, right, top, bottom, in the middle, or an independent, or whatever you are, whatever label you want to ascribe to, if you say, I have this suggestion to make government better, and it's to the Constitution, I'm all ears. If you can make the system of government better, cool. I'm all for it. I'm not saying I'll agree with you, but I'll listen to you. But when it comes to the the Bill of Rights, you now have 26% of your people saying, I'd vote for a socialist. What do you do to fix that? When you have 49% of people of this poll saying, I'm up for a ban on assault rifles. When you have 24% of people saying they're okay with repealing the Second Amendment. When you have 27% of the people saying, I don't want to have hate speech. That's a violation of the First Amendment and the Second Amendment. How do you solve that? How do you fix that? What is the answer? Is the answer always to win an election? Is the answer to never lose an election? If that's your solution, you're setting yourself up for failure. And let me prove it to you. Because whether you like this or not, America has always been like a bit of a pendulum, especially when it comes to presidents. You didn't like Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford and all the corruptions and tricky-dicky. The pendulum swung. Well, let's go get a pig farmer. He couldn't be as corrupt as tricky-dicky, could he? And we all know how that turned out. Weakness, horrific, appeasement, bad times, really bad economic news. And the pendulum swung after four years to Ronald Reagan. Mr. President, tear down this wall. And you had eight years. And then even internally, the pendulum swung from Mr. President, tear down this wall and unleashing the American people and respecting and harnessing their individual greatness to a kinder, softer, more compassionate conservatism with George Bush. And then he was so uptight and people just didn't like George Bush. And the pendulum swung even further and you got Bill Clinton. And you got Bill Clinton, and I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Ms. Glowinski. And the American people got fed up with that, and the pendulum swung to George Bush. And George Bush was the warmonger. Oh my God, there was no weapons of mass destruction. And the pendulum swung to Barack Hussein Obama. What quote could I use of Barack Hussein Obama? Uh, if I had a son, he'd, just look, he'd look like, just like me. You know, all you people who cling to your guns and your Bibles, you know, you have all the the stuff. And the pendulum swung to Donald Trump. Will it swing to some Democrat in 2020? Who knows? At current projections, highly unlikely, probably. But there's so much, it's hard to say when the field is still so big. And maybe Hillary Clinton might run. Yay! But maybe in 2024, it'll swing to, I don't know who's popular in 2024. Tom Hanks, George Clooney, The Rock. Maybe 2024 is The Rock versus Kanye. Oh my God. What a constitutional nightmare that would be. But that, sorry, that, sorry, that was my inner voice. Sorry, that was just me going, oh no. Yeah, okay. 
then the pendulum swings back. Is your answer to win every election? Is that success, setting yourself up for success or failure if you believe in the Bill of Rights? Or is the answer that we have to actually take stock and look at ourselves and look inwardly and go, you know what? How many times do we talk about the American dream? How many times do we talk about the American experiment? And not in rah-rah historical terms and, oh, how great the founders were. No, but actually laying out a course going forward. How many times do we talk about the American dream and appeal to Americans' better nature and appeal that tomorrow will be brighter for everybody by following these principles? It isn't about, oh my God, it's fear. If we don't go back this way, the world is going to end. That is not what the answer is. And I know I'm guilty of doing this as well. And I struggle and I'm trying to find the right message. But the answer is highlighting those principles and painting a brighter tomorrow. Will it be easy? Will we all be singing Kumbaya? Will it be straightforward? Will it be the smoothest, most even, most well-graveled road you ever traveled on? No. There'll be potholes. There'll be bumps. There'll be pieces of gravel. There may be even big pieces of gravel. You might chip chip a windscreen. You might scratch a door. You might blow a tire. But is it worth it to get to that destination? To get to that brighter tomorrow? Because inside this poll, you'll see a lot of bad results of how bad young people are. And there's this great debate going on within your country. Oh, boomers versus millennials. Oh my God, and apparently they both suck. Great. Is this what we're going to have now? We're going to have this constant fighting over labels. I've always been a defender of young people because, hey, when was the last time you heard a young person actually hear the idea of America? Was it from you? Was it from someone older? We can look down and point the finger at everybody else. We can look at them and go, they're the problem. The young people are the problem. The left are the problem. It's the Democrats are the problem. It's ever who else it is. And we can do that all day long. Is that setting yourself up for failure or success? Or is the answer the same answer it's always been? The answer where we talk about the American experiment, where we talk about the American dream, not about what it was, but what it can be. Where we start actually working, and I say we because I, while I am not an American, I am not, I don't have the right to tell you what to do, I will take up the slack and enforce my workload. I will pick up my end of the bargain. Where we actually work together and paint what can be possible tomorrow, where we paint a vision, where we are all more free, where we are all more prosperous, where we're all pursuing our own individual happiness, and where government leaves us the hell alone. And if we do that, in the most humblest of terms, we win. We win. What's your answer, America? What journey are you going to go on? And what journey you choose? Whatever journey you decide to choose, I'm not your enemy. I wish you nothing but the best. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm ready to link arms with anyone. Where we meet on the battleground of ideas. And where we share the idea of America. 
passion in me. You know, I, I, I gotta, I gotta apologize. You know, I'm just listening back to that segment. I think, I think I was a bit too calm. I, I don't think I was passionate enough. The, 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 you know, I could have done with a lot more passion in that, right? You know, if people, people too don't like me and don't like what I say, where they go, ah, oh, John, the America's dead. Let me ask you just one question. And I hate talking about me and myself, but just an honest question. Do you think you could fake what I just did in the last se- segment? Because actually, if you do, I actually gonna, I'm going to give you the benefit. I'm going to say, I'm going to take that as a compliment that you actually think I have that much God-given talent and ability to be an actor. You can't fake that. You may disagree with everything I say, but to say I don't believe that America's best days are ahead of her, I'm not that good of an actor. I don't have that many talents, but I truly believe it. But I also want to highlight what's at stake by talking to you about what's going on this side of the pond and why I am so passionate about checks and balances, about ideas, about constitutional republics. You know, I've said this many times, and every time there's always a few people who don't like me, they always, go, they always try and twist my words. When I say, democracy sucks. If you're looking for a fan of democracy, you're, you've come to the wrong show. I hate democracy. I love the idea of you voting and, pe- you know, for people getting involved in their government. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the idea of democracy and how it's practiced in places like Ireland. And I want to actually give you a few stories to highlight why this is bad and what's at stake. Because if you understand the vision of America, I want you to compare the vision of America, the idea of America that your founding fathers set up. And then ask yourself, why is that the exact opposite of what's happening around the world? And it's always easy, you know, to make, if I wanted to, you know, rig the system, I'd sort of compare what America to Iran, where it's a clear cut, America's better. Oh, compare it to North Korea. It's easy. America's better. I want to talk to you about countries that you say, oh, they're good countries. They're nice countries. They're noble countries. And I want to share three stories with you to highlight why democracy sucks. Democracy sucks because when you have a parliamentary system, it always gives power to the smallest group to get to form a government. Right now in the UK, they're going to the polls. I believe it's the 12th of December the election is. And this is a horrific campaign by all accounts. I've, I'm looking at some of the stuff. We did a show on it a couple of weeks ago about, you know, hey, the right in England are not the same as the right in America, quote unquote. And all the policies and all the principles that they're for. You know, even Boris Johnson, the big righty over there, is like, you know what, the NHS, we're good with it. We're going to be more funding it. It's not up the negotiation in a trade deal with Trump. So privatized healthcare is not good, but, you know, public publicized healthcare is. That's for the right, right-wingers in England. There's a major difference. But one of the elections, what they have to do is the conservatives hold power, Boris Johnson, and they're hoping if you're a Tory and you're in that camp, that you will get a bigger mandate, you'll have more major- a bigger majority in the House of Lords, and basically you'll be able to dictate and mandate for government as your own party. It'd be kind of like what the Democrats have in the House right now and what the Republicans have in the Senate. Straightforward. 
they currently are in with the uh, the Unionist Party from Belfast. They want to go by themselves. But when you're a big party, like the Conservatives have like 280 seats or something like that, the DUP have like 20, and they're needed to prop up the government. They can pretty much hold out carte blanche and get all these extra benefits just to form government. And what you're literally seeing in the UK right now is you have the Brexit party, which no one knows what's going to happen on election night. You've got the Tories. You've got the Lib Dems who are like going between everyone. But what you have is this alliance that's not an alliance, but it's, it is an alliance between Labour and the Scottish, Scottish National Party, Nicola Sturgeon. And she's come out a couple of times in very subtle ways of saying, well, look, we, you know, we'll only prop up Labour in a government if we got the following things. Labour, if, if Labour got enough seats and were able to do this, they would have three, four times the amount of seats the SNP have, maybe even five. But because they need them, they get more benefits. And what you see happening with all these times is all the people, those SNP people, all their constituencies get a lot more taxpayer money because, well, that was part of the deal. Then, hey, I won my mandate. I won because I'm a labor guy. I, my constituency doesn't get any extra money because I'm not needed. And that entrusts their power. It gives them more an advantage. So when they come to get reelected, hey, I, I'm the one, you know that hospital? You know that school? You know that road? That was because of me. Don't ever forget that. And they hold it over you. That's what's literally going on in the UK. That's story one. Linked to this is story two. In a parliamentary system, the way you have impeachment hearings, it's it's very different. But what we have over here is what we call a vote of no confidence. And it can be called against the prime minister or it can be called against the minister of the cabinet. In Ireland this week, this homeless problems problem keeps coming up every winter. Oh my God, you're not doing enough to solve homelessness. Oh, there's all these stats. And look, I'm not mocking homeless. I think if you're homeless, my heart goes out to you. But the answer is not government. The answer is charity. The answer is the church. The answer is individuals, not government. But there was a vote of no confidence in the housing minister. And Ireland is set up like a parliamentary system where it has independent TDs propping up the government because they need those to vote to basically pass legislation. Well, there are three independents who voted with the government party in this no confidence motion to have confidence in the minister. But no one can find out what they got for their constituency. So while you may be, whether you might think on a paper, well, do you have confidence in the housing minister? Is it a yes or no question? No, it's all politics. What can I get from my community? If I get enough from my community, guess what? I have confidence in the housing minister. If I don't, guess what? I don't. And I'll collapse the government. And I'll go back to my people, to my constituency, a hero either way. I'll either go back saying, hey, I've got an extra 10 million to build houses and roads and bridges and whatever else and schools and revamp this and revamp that and name it after me. Or I'll go back a hero saying, I collapse this government because I care for the homeless. Is this a system that you think is healthy? Is this a system that, does this make democracy seem worthwhile? Does this seem like something you would aspire to? Where it's all politics. Democracy is nothing more than a popularity contest. 
and all about getting more power for myself. It's why in Ireland, Ireland's one of these unique countries, we have a lot of quote-unquote independence in the doll as a percentage. I'm not saying it's like 50%. It's nowhere near. We're still two-party system. Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. But we have a very high percentage of independence. The reason being is because they usually get something in return for some of their votes. They get more money, it usually is, for their constituency. And then they get to go back and give a hero's welcome. And they will never, ever get out of power. Why? Because they'll always be able to negotiate extra money and it'll be for, and they'll be able to say, this is what I did. But also, they never have the responsibility of actually governing. They can always be against stuff. They can always be outside the mainstream because outside the mainstream is cool. You know, well, you're not part of the two-party system, so you're automatically better than everyone else. Even though you could be support every policy they do, and a lot of times they do, they just don't want to be tarnished by the party. And these people have strong armed communities. Not in a, in a physical sense or in a violent sense, but in the sense of they've strong armed them because they have led the people to believe they're their champions when in fact they're anything but. And in many cases they are frauds. That's story two. Is democracy something you want in your country? Is a parliamentary system something you want? Look, you have problems. Look, the Democrats are horrifically bad in the House. But is that better? Also, what's happening in the UK, all the constant issues with anti-Semitism and Jeremy Corbyn. You know, you can say things are bad in the in the US, and you can think Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Is it, I think Chuck Schumer is still the leader in the Senate. If I'm wrong, I apologize. But they are horrifically bad. Horrible. You don't have anybody in leadership literally going on state TV going, I don't think... The problem with the BBC is, you know, they, they're too much on the side of Israel has a right to exist. You know, all these horrific anti-Semitic comments. All these scandals that keep coming up and never are addressed. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are horrible people. Are horrible politicians. Are really bad. They ain't Jeremy Corbyn. But the third story comes from Ireland. And this causes caused a lot of controversy this week. You see, when you have a government like democracy, like Ireland, like a parliamentary system, where you're set up where there are no checks on government, where they can do anything they want, you voted them into power, and they'll live with the consequences. Even if they never even mention some of the things they want to do. When the ruling party in Ireland got into power, they named a couple of things they were going to do, some priorities. And people voted for them, whether you agree with it or not. But one of the policies that they passed this week, new legislation was proposed to target bingo. You know that bingo house, four corners, X's, you know, all that game? Older people play it. Well, in Ireland... There are rules, and this rule goes back about 60 years, where if you want to run a bingo hall, you have to get a license. And if you get a license, to get a bingo license and a gaming license to play bingo, and to do bingo, you have to donate money to charity. No, you see, this is Ireland. You see, oh no, Ireland's not socialist. We can't have... You know, people setting up a bingo game for old people and, oh my God, having the profits for themselves. No, you don't get a license. Nope, 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 not a chance. <laughs> no, link it to a charity. Get charity's money. 
Now, on the surface, is that a bad idea? It seems good. Well, what are you, anti-charity, John? You're the guy who's always saying, you know, charity solves all these problems. That's all they're doing. Not forced. If you want to set up a, a bingo game for charity, go for it. If you want to set up a bingo game for profit, where you keep the profits, go for it. What's wrong with a free market? And let people decide where they want to play, whether it's the private sector or whether it's a charity one. But this new legislation decided, well, no, what we need to do is not only do you need to be a charity, we're going to start regulating and telling you exactly what you do with your money. And the policy was every cent that came into the the bingo, you know, the revenue for the prize or for the admittance and for each card. I'm not I'm not a big bingo fan, so I apologize, but ever how the, the company makes money, fifty percent of that money had to be spent on prizes, twenty-five percent had to be given to charity, and twenty-five percent for you know, costs, rent in the hall, you know, bingo balls, announcers, cards, markers, whatever. You know, advertising, whatever you have to do, whatever costs you have. So 50, 25, 25. Everyone was outraged because a lot of these bingo games give prizes out more than 50%. And then, of course, oh, people protested and went in front of the doll. And the compromise was, well, we can have 70% for prizes. How many times it happens over here where we don't actually look at whether the government is the problem. We just look at it and kind of go, oh my God, 50% is too low. We need the government to tell us 70%. We'll compromise. Even when things got this vocal, because there were stories on all the news, all these old people, and I have no family, and I have no friends, and my bingo on a Tuesday night is my only outlet. And you had all these pulling on the heartstrings. Even when you had stories like this, The solution was, well, let's just amend the legislation. Let's just change the numbers. We never had the story of, hey, maybe government shouldn't tell gaming industries what they can and cannot do. How about letting the people decide? This is what is at stake. Now, I know this is only a small story. It's about a game of bingo, big deal, John. In the grand scheme of the world, it means nothing. I got it. But the underlying principle is absolutely key of what government can and cannot do. America is the only nation with a system, with a vision of a system that said, man is meant to be free and give the power to the people to decide what they want to do. If you are for the people, if you are for giving the people power, then let them control all of their money. They will decide who succeeds and they will decide who fails, not government. If they are unhappy with the amount of money they're giving to charity, then guess what? Someone else will set up one giving more money to charity. And then they will be successful or failure. Or if someone's unhappy with the amount of money they're giving to charity and they want more prizes, or they don't want any money to charity and they want to be 100% profit, but literally all 100% of the profits go back into prizes. And people want to go there, let them go there. Why does the government have to be involved in everything? This is the question that we have to ask ourselves. And this is where I bring it back full circle to where I started. Where do you see yourself and how do you see America been set up for success? 
Is it getting involved in the little battles of the day? Or is it understanding there's an ideology which puts America at the exact opposite to every other nation, whether you're Ireland, whether you're England, whether you're Iran, whether you're North Korea? Just some are more benevolent than others. Some give more rights than others. But you're the polar opposite to every other nation. You are a nation built where government does not give rights. Government protects your rights. And where government works best, government is extremely limited. I.e. the Constitution. But that people have the right to decide where their money goes. You cannot tell them. You have no moral right. And if you think you do, clearly you have an ego problem. But also you do not believe in equality. It all comes back down to that simple principle of all men being created equal. If we fundamentally believe in our hearts we are equal, how can I compel someone else to act a certain way? Because then if I can do that, that makes me the master and you the serf. That is not equality. If you look through the history of the world, whether you want to study America, whether you want to study ancient Rome or ancient Greece or the Middle East or Asia or Europe, wherever you want to study, you will understand that the founder's vision of America has never, ever existed. But it should. This idea that we are all created and we all have certain rights, whether we're black, whether we're white, whether we're gay, whether we're straight, whether we're Muslim, whether we're Christian, whether we're atheist, whether we're Buddhist, we all have certain rights. And we are among them. We have a right to life. We have a right to liberty. And we have a right to pursue our God-given happiness. Even if it means I annoy you by pursuing my happiness. Oh, there's John going talking about America again. That's my pursuit of happiness. If that annoys you, well, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to stop. Oh, there's John trying to get into America. Again, that's what makes me trying to get happy. I'm pursuing my happiness. But the key thing to understand in this is the word pursuit. You're not guaranteed happiness. You are guaranteed a right to pursue us. That is what makes America different. We need to encourage not only Americans but Irish people to break off the shackles of government. To live free. To be free men and women. To understand we are not mice in a little maze. And we're let, given allowed to go wherever the government says us. And act in a certain way. We are men and women who are free. And we should not be controlled. We should be allowed to pursue our individual happiness. Because when that happens, look at how much the world innovates. When men and women are free to pursue their happiness, and yes, keep the fruits of their own labor, they innovate more than when there is no incentive, when they're not allowed to pursue their own happiness. And because we have so many problems like cancer, like health issues, like obesity, like debt problems, do we need people who are innovating more or innovating less? Is this world better? Even let me give you a controversial one. If you believe in climate change, how do you solve it? Through the people innovating cleaner, better energy for cleaner air and cleaner water. Let me use the language of the left. Through more innovation or less innovation? Which happens? How do you solve it? Simple question. The answer is unleashing the American people unleashing man and women 
to pursue their happiness. Because that is not the vision of Jamestown. That is the vision of Plymouth. Those pilgrims who left to come to America, it wasn't for wealth, it wasn't for fame, it wasn't for fortunes, it wasn't to plunder the land. It was for an opportunity to practice their God-given rights to freedom and freedom from oppression from a king and freedom of religion. That is what we need to start sharing with people and reminding Americans and anyone who will listen what the idea of America is. And in 2020, with the anniversary, the 400-year anniversary, we better start doing it. Don't forget, next week is an Ask Me Anything. Get in touch on social media, Twitter, Freedom Disciple, Facebook, Jonathan58. Any questions? I am hoping someone asks me a Yankee question. I have no hope. I don't hold out hope for that. But it would be nice. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, you have a beautiful and blessed week. And as always, we salute your policemen, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. And lastly, I salute you, the American people, the secret sauce to America. America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. Don't forget, ask me anything, and have a beautiful and blessed week. God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.